Well, good morning. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing our series, Walking Through the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to be kind of using Matthew 6 as our jumping off point here. We're going to be reading the prayer out of Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. So I'll give you a second to turn there. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. I'll read and you can hear the word of the Lord. It says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I ask you to bear with me a little this morning. I have been feeling under the weather, so there might be some frequent water breaks and things like that. But I'm excited to dig into this portion of the Lord's Prayer with you. Because one of the things that I hope happens in our study of the Lord's Prayer is that we get a greater sense for how the different parts of the prayer connect with one another. I think growing up, or if you've, if you've heard the prayer, just even casually, it's easy to assume that these are just different phrases of poetic-sounding requests somewhat haphazardly thrown together. Or maybe put together for more for artistry than for a prayer's sake. But I would argue that there's actually an intentionality and a logic to how our prayer unfolds. So we saw in the first week of the series that we were told how to address the God we pray to. We address him as our Father. This is the privilege and joy of Christians. Those who are in Christ, we can come to God as our Father. A Father we saw whose heart is tender toward us, who's eager to show us grace and mercy, and who loves to give good gifts to his children. Isn't that who you want to go when you have requests to make Who better to go to than a father like that? Then when we come to him, the first priority of our hearts ought to be, hallowed be your name. When we come, that's our first thought is, God, would your name be lifted up and treasured above every other name that's out there? That's the great longing of the people of God's hearts, for God to be known and worshipped as he deserves to be. And how is God's name hallowed? By his kingdom coming. Where as more and more people bow more and more of their hearts to the kingship of Jesus, the name of God is exalted. So where his kingdom comes, his name is hallowed. There's a flow there. Those two are not unrelated. Well, how do we know where the kingdom of God has come? Well, isn't it where his will is done? It's... What clearer sign could we have that God is ruling and reigning in the hearts of people than by seeing the hearts of those who call him king doing his will? Where the kingdom of God has come, he is obeyed as king and his will is done. And so that last part is where we're going to focus on this morning. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this morning I want us to look at five questions. Five questions. What is God's will? That's a small one to get us started with. What is God's will? 
Second, why do we need to pray like this? Why is that included in the prayer? Third, how can we pray like that? Fourth, what do we need in order to do God's will? And finally, we'll close by looking at how should God's will be done? Okay, so we're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to go somewhat quickly. So the first question we have to deal with in understanding this part of the Lord's Prayer is what are we talking about when we're talking about God's will here? That's a phrase that's tossed about by a lot of people. It can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people in a lot of different contexts. So we want to be careful when we say your will be done, what are we talking about? What is Jesus talking about? In fact, it might seem strange to you that we're told to pray for God's will to be done. If you've grown up in the church or you've read your Bibles, you might say, wait, aren't we told in the Bible that God's will is always done? Daniel 4.35 says, He does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. You think, so if God's will is always done, why are we praying for it? Is this, is this really just some kind of prayer of resignation saying, God, you're going to do what you're going to do, so go ahead and do it? Is that all we mean? Saying like, is that what the prayer is teaching us? That God's will is always done, but make sure you pray it, and it's just going to happen. Not at all. This prayer is actually a potent and powerful weapon in the advance of the kingdom. And to understand what we're asking for, though, we have to understand something about God's will. The Bible talks about God's will in at least two ways. There's a lot of different words people use to describe these two, but I'm going to give you two. Two words. There's God's secret will and God's revealed will. Secret and revealed. And we get that kind of language. I'm not making that up. That's taken from Deuteronomy 29. There it says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That we may do all the words of this law. So you've got these secret things. And you've got revealed things. Let's unpack each of those. What is God's secret will? It sounds really mysterious. Well, his secret will is his plans and purposes for history that govern all of creation, all of providence, and all of redemption. So when we talk about God's will in this way, we're talking about his sovereign will, like we saw in Daniel 4, that is always done perfectly. It encompasses all details of all times and all places. You see this in Scripture in places like Ephesians 1.11, where it says, He works all things according to the counsel of His will. We're talking secret will. His overarching plan. Psalm 115.3, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. All that He wills. And Isaiah 46, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. This is what we're talking about when we talk about the secret will. The will is secret. Why, do we, why would we use that language? It's secret that we know only the details that God has chosen to share with us. We don't know every detail of God's plans and purposes. And I think most of us would be quick to admit that. That's why we have the song called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. 
And those secret things, the things that we don't know, that have not been revealed to us, those are his secret will. Now, on the other hand, we've got God's revealed will. This is what he's told us that he wants us to do. He's not making us guess at what he desires out of us. It's no mystery, no secret. Instead, he said, I'll tell you how I want you to live. In fact, that's why he's given us his word. It's, It's his revelation saying, let me tell you what I'm like and what I want out of you. We know that it's God's will for us not to steal or lie. Right? No one has to sit at home saying, I wonder what God's will is in this situation. Should I steal that from the store? Should I not? I don't know. I just need to seek God's will in it. No, we know God's will. We know that God's will is for us to love our neighbor as ourselves. How do we know God's will? He's told us. We don't have to wonder if those are God's will because they're part of his revealed will. He says, I'll tell you straight out what I want. So every place the Bible tells us how to live in a way that pleases God is part of his revealed will. Now here's how this helps us with the Lord's Prayer. So if God's secret will is always done everywhere, we have no need to pray for it to be done. It's already being done. But God's revealed will is not always done. And all I need to do to prove that is say, look in the mirror. Right? None of us, if we're honest this morning, always does what God desires and wills for us to do. We don't always do what's pleasing to him. So, that takes us to our second question. Why do we need to pray for God's will to be done? Answer, because left to ourselves, none of us would. None of us would do God's will. In fact, apart from Christ, all of us naturally live to do our will, not God's. Ephesians 2 says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, hear this, in the passions of our flesh, Carrying out the desires, it's the same word, will, carrying out the will of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So you and I, we were dead in our sins because we lived to carry out the desires of our own flesh and mind. Our problem was that we lived not to do God's will, but to do our will, to do the things that please us. Have you ever noticed that you don't need to teach kids to do their own will? Like maybe, I don't know, maybe other parents have had a different experience, but you never need to teach them, say like, Johnny, like you actually like need to assert, like what do you want in this situation and make sure that you get the thing you want. Like don't always be deferential to others and do the will of God in this situation. No, we are naturally saying, mine, I want it this way. I do that. Like nobody teaches us that. Why? Because we're hardwired to do my will. So this is such a counterintuitive prayer. So much of the things God tells us to pray, if you flip them on their head and say like, wait a minute, why does he tell us to pray that? They're very revealing of our hearts. So the fact that God needs to say, your will be done tells me, I don't naturally do his will. Instead, what I find is that I'm more naturally inclined to do my will. I I do the things that are against God's will and leave undone the things that I know he 
wills for me to do. And that, the Bible says, is the essence of sin. To live by the code, my will be done. Now that's pretty sobering, but there's even more going on here than we'd like to admit. Because the Bible makes it clear that while, yes, we are living for our own will, we're actually doing the will of someone else. Listen to John 8, 44. Jesus tells a group of people who are not following him, he says, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He says, yeah, you, you do your will, and your will is to do the devil's will. Now, in case that's just a, a fluke, let's look at another one. Paul says something similar in 2 Timothy 2.25. When talking about unbelievers, he says, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So the Bible uses very stark language, and it's unambiguous language, to say that if we are not in Christ, if we have not turned from our sins and trusted in Jesus, and if we are not actively seeking to do God's will, then we're not merely innocent spectators. Instead, it says that everyone you meet from their first breath until their last is always saying, your will be done to someone. And until Jesus rescues us, the will we live to see done is our own. And ultimately, Satan's. This is the sobering reality that we see of why we need to pray this. But even after we become Christians, it's not as though we start doing God's will perfectly, right? In fact, isn't that the point of Jesus teaching us to pray that God's will would be done? It's acknowledging there's still a gap between how we live and how God wills for us to live. And because of our indwelling sin, we still find ourselves reverting back to living for our own will. So our Savior knew our hearts when he taught us to pray. So when he taught us, he taught us to pray in such a way that it refocused our heart on the will we should be living for. That it took our eyes off of our self-centered, self-will seeking and said, said, Father, your will be done. So why do we need to pray your will be done? Because left to ourselves, we would seek to see our own will be done instead. But when we pray your will be done, we're intentionally putting our will in submission to God's. We're acknowledging that God, your desires trump my desires and take priority over mine. We're praying the same way that David prayed in Psalm 143 when he said, teach me to do your will for you are my God. So that's why we need to pray this. But now, now we bump into question number three. We've seen that praying for God's will to be done means praying for God's commands to be obeyed and for his desires to be reflected in the way we've lived. But then we've also seen that left to ourselves, none of us would pray that way. None of us would pray for God's will to be done. So how is it that we reconcile those two? How is it that we can actually pray, your will be done, when none of us by nature desires that? And this, this friends, is where the good news comes in. This is where we need to sit up and hear the good news all over again. And I want us to think about the gospel from three different angles this morning, all having to do with God's will. Because there's at least three different angles that we see gospel. First, God's will 
was perfectly done in our place. So when we say your will be done, it has been done once by one person. When Jesus came, he always and only did the will of God. In John 6, he said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Friends, Jesus' life was marked by perfect obedience to his Father. There was never a time that Jesus did anything other than the will of God. Think about that. It wasn't like, okay, tomorrow I'm really going to focus on doing the will. There was never a time he did anything else. In fact, he didn't do it begrudgingly. Don't get the impression that Jesus was just this sad, dour, meticulous rule follower. They're like, yeah, I did all the things that God told me to do, but I didn't necessarily like it. No, it says he loved doing the will of his Father. In John 4, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He says, it's my food. It's what I, it's what I live on. It's what I delight in. It's what fuels me in the morning. Like what gets me out of bed is, man, I'm going to do God's will today. And we see the ultimate example of this doing God's will in the garden as Jesus prayed to the Father. As Jesus is in the garden with the cross and with the wrath of God looming for sins that he did not commit, Jesus pours out his heart to God, knowing that what he was about to face was horrific. Jesus wasn't surprised by how awful the cross was. He knew what was coming. And so he asked God, if if there's another way, God, if there is another way, let this cup pass from me. But when the answer was no, Jesus didn't waver for a moment. He prayed the exact same phrase he teaches us to pray. Father, your will be done. Even at the the most excruciating, terrifying moment of life that we can even fathom, Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. And so we, we know definitively God's will was perfectly done in our place. But the second way we see the gospel is not only was it done in our place, Jesus also offered payment for our not doing God's will. We sang earlier that it was for me in the garden he prayed, not my will but thine. We say that. We said, why would we sing it was for me? It was for us. Why do we say it was for us he prayed that? Because after praying it, he finished the work God gave him. Bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns and he bled for a world's betrayal. And on that cross, our burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away our sin. For every time that you and I have known God's will and said, no, nah, not today. For every time we've, we've fudged a little bit and said, ah, I'll do this, this, and that, but not that part. For every time that we've, we've known what we ought to do and just we've gone the other way. For things we have done and things we have left undone. All of it was nailed to the cross in Jesus' body and he paid for our every failure to do God's will. But there's more. The gospel doesn't stop there. That would be glorious if Jesus did the will of God perfectly in our place and paid the penalty for our not doing God's will. But third, the good news of the gospel 
is that God also promises to change our hearts to want to do his will. Ezekiel 36 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Hear this. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In other words, I will cause you to do my will. The very thing that we are naturally inclined to not want to do. Earlier when I talked about that, another way to say it is by nature, by sinful nature, our wanters are broken. That we all want and we all do what we want. We do our will. The problem is not that we do what we want. It's that we want the wrong things. So what God promises here is he doesn't just say, I'm going to pay for the times you did the wrong thing, and I'm going to have Jesus do the things you ought to have done in your place. He says, I'm going to actually fix your wanters. You're now going to desire to do my will. So now you've not just been paid for. You've not just had a substitute do it in your place, but you have been fundamentally changed from the inside out. So now this is what you can pray in sincerity. When you say, Father, your will be done It's coming out of a new heart. Now, don't get me wrong. There is still a battle of wills inside us. And many of you know that. There's a battle between the old sinful will of our flesh and the will of God revealed by the Spirit. Paul puts it like this. He says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It says, your wanter has been fixed. You now want to do God's will, but there's still sin in you. Still the desires of the flesh waging war against you. But here's the good news, friends. Is that this battle of wills is not an even fight. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he decisively won the victory over sin. So while we still must fight the presence of sin, we have been set free from the power of sin. It no longer can reign over us. Listen to Romans 6. For the death Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. This is the good news of the gospel. That we've been changed, friends, so that there was a time where we had to obey sin. We had no other way of living. We, we, didn't, we couldn't fathom saying no to it. But because of Jesus, we have been set free. So now we no longer have to obey sin. We can instead do the will of God. When said, here's a way to think about it. We've been set free by the Son and empowered by the Spirit to do the will of the Father. This is how God works in our redemption, friends. All three members of the Trinity are conspiring to make us new. So again, let me pause here, make sure that we're tracking. When we're asking for God's will to be done, when we pray this, we're not talking about his mysterious workings. We're not asking him to do the things that we have no idea how he's unfolding his plans. That's not what we're talking about. We're asking him That in us, and in one another, and in others all over the world, 
his will revealed in his word would be obeyed. That we would all increasingly do that which he has told us to do. Which leads us to an important point. In order to do God's will, we must first know God's will. And how do we find out God's will? Do we get a remote cabin out in the woods, listen for a still, small voice in the leaves? Do we look in our lives for signs and coincidences that seem to suggest something like, oh, my third cousin's middle initial was Q, and then I met a guy yesterday whose name was Quincy, and it was at the bus stop where I used to get on as a kid. Therefore, I think God's telling me to... No. Do we meditate and just see what comes from deep inside us? Friends, the will of God is not something here mysterious or hidden. It's been revealed. God has told us what he wills in his word. It's here for all of us. No secrets, nothing hidden. It's all right here. We don't have to wonder or be perplexed about God's will because he's graciously revealed it. Now, does that mean he tells us whether you should marry that girl? No. But he does tell us that it's his will that if you do marry her, you should love her like Christ loved the church. He doesn't tell us whether you should take that job, but he does say it's his will that if you take that job, you should work heartily at it as for the Lord and not for men. And he doesn't tell you which house you should buy, but he does tell us it's his will that whatever house you own, you should seek to show hospitality. The problem is, we spend so much time seeking God's will on the things he hasn't revealed, when instead we ought to apply ourselves to seeking to do his will where he has told us. How do we know what his will is? We study the Bible. We seek to know it and be changed by it so that we can live, Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This renews our mind. Why? So that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we know that? It's not a a tingly sense on the back of our neck. It's because I can quote chapter and verse. That's how we know the will of God. So the question for us this morning is, are you renewing your mind? We can pray all day long, your will be done, but are we seeking to know God's will in Scripture? Are you learning more and more about what it is and how he's called us to live? Or is the way you live based more on your own morality or the values you were raised with? Do you take that and just assume that they're probably in the Bible and say, yeah, I think I'm seeking to live the way God wants me to? Or can you open up the Bible and say, here's why I do that? We can't do his will if we don't know his will. But that leads to a second danger. Because knowing God's will without doing it is insufficient. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Again in Matthew 12, Jesus looked around and he said, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Friends, we must be careful because we can know all about our Bibles. We can, we can do, we can quote them, 
upside down and inside out. We can answer trivia questions. We can listen to shows about them. We can do that and yet be guilty of not doing what they say. God is not concerned just to have his will known, but to have his will done. We hear this when Paul prays in Colossians 1. He prays for the Christians there saying, I'm asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. So knowledge is good. God, fill them with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. But he doesn't stop. He said, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Those are not disconnected prayer requests. He's saying, God, I want them to know your will so much to be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So that it changes the way they walk. It changes the way they live so that they can live in a way that pleases you. How do they live in a way that pleases you? They know your will. We search the scriptures not just to know God's will, but so that we can walk in it. So it leaves us asking, are we knowing and doing the will of God? And that brings us to our last question. We've been talking mainly about the first phrase in this part of the prayer, your will be done. But there's a second part, on earth as it is in heaven. The first phrase tells us what must be done. God's will must be done. The second part of the phrase tells us how it ought to be done. So we are asking God that his will is done here on earth in the same manner as it is in heaven. And once we stop to consider that, for me, it leads to one observation and a question. One observation and a question. First, notice who our standard is. When we think about how we are to do the will of God, we're not meant to aim at how well those around us are doing. We don't take our cues from the people we see or hear about or watch on TV We don't lower the bar on doing God's will. So we can't say, well, none of my friends really reads the Bible. So I mean, like, I don't think it's a big deal because I'm at least as good as them. I'm reading it more than they are. Or everyone I know watches that show. Even all the Christians I know watch that show. So I'm sure it's fine. When inwardly we know you ought not do that. Our example for how we do God's will is not our neighbors around us, but the angels and saints in heaven. Which begs the question, how is God's will done in heaven? Well, first of all, we know that it is done. Psalm 103.20 says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers, who do his will. Did you hear how it talked about doing God's will? Doing his word obeying the voice of his word. It says, you angels, you do that. That's what you do. So how is, how is it that they do it in heaven? I'm going to give you just four. There's a lot more than this. In fact, I would encourage you, think of other ways that you would add to this. But as you hear these, ask yourself, where might you need to grow in doing God's will more like it's done in heaven? So what should our doing God's will look like here on earth? First, God's will is done gladly and joyfully. Again, it's not just the angels aren't just up there like just super compliant, firstborns, 
checking all the boxes, making sure they get everything done on time, but they're just hating their lives. They love it. There's no reluctance, no annoyance. There's no grumbling like, oh, I got to go do the thing God told me to do again. They delight to do God's will. It's their deep joy to do what pleases God. There's no grumpy angels. Have you ever thought about that? The angels are always doing God's will and they're always happy. Hmm. Food for thought. Think about us. Do you know what happens at the end? We are glorified. We become the most glorified beings you can imagine. It says at the end we are justified, we're sanctified, we're glorified. And when we, when we are given this state of glorification, what else is true of us? We are enjoying pleasures forevermore. So we're doing the will of God more than we've ever imagined, and we're happier than we've ever imagined. And don't you think there's something there? So the angels, man, they're happy. They're, they're not chubby little fat angels that you see on like Christmas cards, but they are happy, glorious beings doing the will of God. Second, it's done, the will of God is done humbly and reverently. When God speaks, the angels listen. They don't presume to know better or have a different idea. And keep in mind, right now, these are beings far stronger than any of us in this room, far wiser than any of us in this room. They've been around longer than any of us in this room. And yet when God tells them to do something, not one of them says, yeah, I can see where you're coming from, God, but did you think about... No. They do God's will humbly and reverently, knowing that if he said it, it's good. This leads to number three. God's will is done promptly and completely. Parents, this is a great way for us to teach our kids how to obey. When I was younger, a young Christian, there was a man who discipled me, who I, I overheard him parenting, which, which by the way, sidebar, Christians, be around different, if, you, if you're single, hang around families. Families, if, if you have a family, invite singles in because I learned so much about how to parent from the, a family inviting me in and letting me watch how they did it. So one of the things this, this brother did is he taught his kids that they needed to obey mommy and daddy right away, all the way. Promptly and completely. Right away, all the way. Right away, all the way. And I love that because it helps us, how we're training our kids, helps us see how do the angels obey God's will in heaven. Angels never dawdle. They never put off saying like, I heard you, but let me just finish this. If God says it, they do it right then. They do God's will right away, and they never only do part of it. Again, parents, you know what this is like. Have you ever asked for a room to be picked up? And they say, the room is picked up, and it is, sort of, except for this, and this, and this. And can't that be a little bit like our obedience to God? God, I did, I did your will today. Uh, except for that and that and that. We obey in part and we don't obey promptly. We do a lot of what God asks, but we neglect this, this, or this. Instead, like the angels, our obedience should be right away, all the way. Fourth, in heaven, God's will is done 
constantly. Constantly. There is never a moment when the angels are doing something other than God's will. They don't look at their planners and say, uh, Tuesday I'm doing God's will three to five, and then I got this other thing, and then no, it's one big sheet says God's will. All day, every day. Their entire glorious existence is occupied in doing what pleases God, and they never stray or wander into doing anything less. And isn't that the way we long to be? Don't you feel that in your bones? Don't you hate it when you realize, I'm not doing that? So I think this is why Jesus teaches us to pray until long, God, let your will be done in me. So what are we praying when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? We're asking our Father to make us constantly, joyfully, and wholeheartedly obedient to him. We want to obey God right away and all the way without grumbling or questioning. And we pray this not just for ourselves, but for one another and for many others all over the world. We're asking God in every life and every heart, not our will, but yours be done. Now let me pray and invite you to, to join me at the end and we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. Father, Father, we do ask for your help to do this. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he paid the penalty for our not doing your will. And thank you that he, he did your will perfectly in our place. Thank you that by your spirit you change us so that we no longer live according to the will of our flesh, but instead we, we earnestly desire to do your will. God, we pray that you would make our desires more and more a reality. Would you help us to be obedient people? To long to do the things that our God calls us to do. Would you help us search them out in the scriptures to know, not just assume the way that you've called us to live, but to know because we've seen it with our own eyes, heard it with our own ears in your word. And would, would the hearing of it and the seeing it prompt us to obedience would you make us a people who delight to do your will O oh god and now we pray in the words that our savior taught us to pray our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen